Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. How are you going today? Oh man, it's so nice to have some uh, some sunny weather again up here in Newcastle today. It's always, I mean, I grew up in Southern California, so I got to be honest, like I loved rain growing up because we had like three days of it a year. And when it comes to like three days a year, you're just like, wow, this is amazing. But as I've uh, gotten older and moved to other places where there's a bit more rain, sometimes I'm like, I'm over the rain. So it's nice to have some sunny weather out there. So I don't know what you're up to today, whether you're out driving or whatever you're doing. We're super excited to have you guys along. And uh, today, we are going to be continuing our series called In the Beginning. And we're exploring the second part of the story of the global flood in Genesis chapters 6 through 9 and the story of Noah. So that's what we're going to be plugging into today. We've got a great show lined up for you. We're also going to be hearing from our good friend Joseph Scaff, who's a, uh, a Brazilian minister working over here in Australia, and he's going to share a little bit of his story. Looking forward to that. I believe it might have something to do with airplanes, which is always exciting. And uh, we've also got a new thing we're going to be trying today, and that is we have a discussion question that we would love to hear from you, and you can call in or text in if that's easier. And our discussion question today is, how do you pray for your personal time with God? Are you a kneel-by-the-bed kind of person, or is that a thing of the past? So we'd love to hear from you throughout the show to call in and answer that question, and uh, it's going to be a great show, so make sure you stick around, send those questions in, and uh, hold on to your hats and glasses. It's going to be a great show. This is Anthony Skinner.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and it has come that time of the show where we're going to talk about some weird and wonderful facts about the world that God has made. How are you going today, Shell? Yeah, I'm great. Oh, this is good news. It's so nice to have a, a little friendly chatter back and forth from the uh, between the glass, between the production <laughs> area and the recording area of the studio. So are you are you ready for some fun facts? Oh, definitely. What are we learning about this week? Well, I'm super excited because we've been learning about the flood, and that's what we're continuing to do today. So I thought we might do some fun facts about the water. How Very does that sound? Good. Yes. So interesting fun facts. Did you know that today... There are five categories that they put floods into. Five. I did not know that. Do you have any guesses of what kinds of floods there might be? Dun, 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 dun. Uh, puddles and yeah. tsunamis. <laughs> okay, tsunami. That's one of the, that's one of the types. So one of the types is coastal. You have floods that are caused by uh, coastal surge, so an, an increase of seawater moving in a direction, so something that's tidal or caused by uh, a catastrophe such as an earthquake causing a tsunami. But you also have not just uh, catastrophic, sorry, coastal, but you also have catastrophic, those caused by, say, the breaking of a dam or a levee, um, aerial flooding, and that's caused by rainfall. You've got riverine flooding when a river swells and overflows its boundaries or a lake. And you also have urban flooding. So that's when, you know, drainage or something has backed up and that causes flooding. Isn't that interesting? So it's all the, the things that cause the flooding that, that, that give it the name. That's exactly right. So you've got these different categories based on their causal factors. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, have you ever been in a flood, by the way? You ever experienced any flooding? Not a major one. Um, enough that we've seen a car moving. Yeah, it's you know, crazy. That was parked. Yeah, yeah, wow. And you know, roads roads blocked off and that sort of thing. But this last flood didn't get close enough to us that we got to see it. And I mean, that's, as, that's as, not a bad thing. As bad <laughs> as floods are, they are. It, there is still something amazing and exciting seeing nature um, in its extremes. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's an overpowering kind of experience, isn't it? Yeah. And when you have when you're in a position where you're safely observing, that's right. It doesn't have that same catastrophic impact. Mm-hmm. Personally, you can you can kind of have a little bit of a, an ability to kind of see that in a different way. Mm-hmm. Did you know? Also, just one more fun flat fun fact fun fact about <laughs> floods. Too many of the same kind of sounds. Um, did you know that in the United States, floods? are responsible for around 90% of all natural disaster declarations in the country. 90% of all the natural disasters that are declared to be that in the United States are floods. I find that really fascinating. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I mean, you've got whole regions of that country where you've got tornadoes, you've got whole regions of that country that are landlocked and a long way away from the ocean, Mm -hmm. but there's other kinds of flooding. 
Isn't that fascinating? Yes. All right. Well, I want to shift gears because we're not just talking about floods today, but in a flood, there's a lot of animals that would not survive, but there's a lot of animals that do. And those animals would be, uh, you know, aquatic animals. So here's some fun (laughs) facts about fish that I was looking up earlier today. So are you ready for this question? How long is the lifespan of an average American lobster? Sorry, all my fun facts today are from American websites. Mm-hmm. How much? I don't know how long. You just a guess lobster a year. Lives. You just gotta guess guess a number of years. Four years. Oh, keep going. Higher. Keep going. Higher. Ten. Years. Higher again. Twenty. Boom. That's it. Twenty years. Really. The average American lobster lives longer than the average lifespan of a dog or cat. So if you're out there and you're thinking to yourself, man, I really want a pet that's going to be in it for the long haul. Lobster might be one of the ones you want to pick if you're not a bird person. Um, interesting fun fact about catfish. Humans have approximately 9,000 taste buds on their tongue. How many taste buds do you reckon a catfish has? Dun, dun. I feel like well, we need they, some like they waiting eat really music. really nasty stuff. So I would think that they would have like three. Two. <laughs> <laughs> they actually have 27,000 taste buds on average. Oh, 27,000. Maybe that's the reason they have such eclectic taste that they can eat so many things. Maybe they can yeah. taste some of the nuances of the foods that we're not tasting. All right, last fun fact for you cuz we're running out of time here is that the parrotfish Yeah, those beautiful, colorful fish that live in coastal reef areas, they actually cover their whole body with mucus as a protective layer. So next time that you're blowing your nose, just remember the good old parrotfish. (laughs) This is Foreordained Standard Bearer.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and it's come that time of the show today to get into our Testify segment, where we get to hear some live, real-person stories from present day today of what God is doing in their lives. But just before we get into that, just a reminder, uh, we've got a bunch of responses in for our, our discussion topic today, which we're going to talk about a little bit in and out of the program, and that discussion topic is, what's your posture of prayer? Do you like to kneel, or is there some other way that you like to do that? Um, have we got you there, Joseph? Yes, I'm here, Robbie. Awesome, my friend. It's so good to hear your voice. How are you going? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm doing very well, my friend. Doing very well. So we're super excited to have you on the show today to share a little bit of your story of what's got of what God has done in your life. And uh, just before you get into your story, just give us a, a, a real short uh, summary, a, a little bit about who you are. Okay, so uh, I'm originally from Brazil. I studied economics, started a career in investment banking, and then I met Jesus Christ, and I realized, and he called me to um, give up on, on my uh, former career, and now I'm a pastor, I'm a minister uh, here in Newcastle uh, with my family. Awesome, that's so cool, Joseph. Um, and yeah, I believe you've got a story to share with us today. Go for it. Yes, sure. Um, so the story that I wanted to share, Rob, is, is one of these highlight moments of you know God in my life. And the context was my wife and I. We were um, you know married not not too long ago, and uh, we wanted to go to our first mission trip. So we wanted to go to Africa, and we had you know we collected some uh, uh, donations from people like soaps and toothpaste and toothbrushes and you know towels and like hygiene items that we would go. 
uh, and give to these uh, kids in Kenya. We're going to talk to them about health and about the connection between that and in our you know relationship with God and all these kinds of things. And and so the day was set. We were supposed to go to the airport and. Uh, we were flying first to South Africa. That was just a connection to, to later go to Kenya. So after we, we you know, we, 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 we packed our stuff, my wife and I were both carry like three really large size kind of, a, you know, checking luggage with us. And we, we, we rushed to the airport. We were running late. By a miracle, we actually got into the airplane. And when we got into the airplane, we were just praising God, like, wow, we took so, we, we got so much traffic and everything. I just kind of relaxed now and enjoy our trip to South Africa. And when that happened, uh, when I was like buckling up my seatbelt in my uh, airplane seat, this guy uh, came to my, to my row and says, are you, excuse me, are you Mr. Joseph's staff? And I said, yes, sure. Uh, why? Mr. Joseph's staff, we have found some, the, the federal police of Brazil has found some problems with your luggage. You have to follow me. I'm, I'm going to escort you to the air, uh, out of this airplane. So my wife and I, like, we look at each other and say, what's going on here? And we're, we're leaving and everybody at the airplane is looking at us. They're like, no, oh man, look, they just got these drug dealers here uh, in our flight. You know, like shame on them and like all these kind of judgment looks. And we came out of the airplane and as we're coming out of the airplane, they just told us to wait uh, seated um, at, you know, at, at a few chairs. And uh, during that time, it was uh, about 30 minutes. The airplane was gone. Uh, you know, they, they managed to remove our luggage from the airplane. We were just waiting there until two cops arrived into the scene. They're like full on equipped cops with like, you know, bulletproof vests and machine guns and these kinds of things. And they came to us and just like putting us literally against the law and saying, who are you? What do you have in your luggage? Are you trafficking drugs to, to, uh, to Africa? And like, we were like, whoa, 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 what's going on? What happened here? And basically this cop are saying, we have found illicit substances in your luggage. Do you know what we're talking about? Who made your luggage for you? I said, well, listen, no, nobody um, uh, packed our, lag- our luggage for us. We, we did it ourselves. And, uh, and I, I was just trying to think in a million you know, miles an hour in my head, what was wrong? You know, did I, you know, I, I, you know what, what was in my luggage? And I couldn't think of anything that was wrong. And then we started to say, is this the, 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 the tube of a charcoal powder that we're taking the kids? Oh, no, it's not that. Is it the soaps? No, it's not there. Is it the toothpaste? And then the two cops looked at each other and they said, they nodded and said, yes, the toothpaste. We believe that these toothpastes are containing uh, um, substances that are used to, to fabricate cocaine. So you have to come with us. Uh, we're going to put you uh, into our in custody for a, for a while until we test it. But our sensors have detected that you are carrying a large amount of an illicit substance. And so we were, and we were going, we were following these guys to the airport and just like thinking, man, like what's, what's going on here? Uh, what's happening? And, uh, you know, at some point, my, I, I look at my wife and says, honey, maybe this is God's will for us. And she said, like, what, what do you mean? And I said, well, maybe God wants us to do prison ministries. You know, we're going to jail. There's lots of people there that, that need to you know to, to hear about Jesus. Maybe that's God's way of directing us to that. And then she says, Joseph, listen, I'm not going to jail. If anyone's going to jail, it's going to be. I'm not going to jail. We have done anything wrong. If anyone's going to be in trouble, our this police cop because it's totally unfair. And, you know, she had given them the receipt, the text invoice of the toothpaste. She said, if anyone's going to be in trouble, definitely not going to be us, Joseph, anyone but us. And so we were, uh, you know, we were escorted there. And as we were there going, they, you know, we were waiting in the little room and uh, we heard these radio because the South African Airlines had a guy following us. And basically said, um, you know, the airplane that you guys were in is accusing problems in three out of the four engines. So it's coming back. We cannot continue this flight. And then the police cops listen to that and say, oh, wow, 
You know, maybe maybe you're not supposed to be on this airplane. Now, they just came back with the results from the lab, and they said, guys, I'm sorry, you, you guys are clear, you are free. It's just like we found a very, very tiny substance in like 500 little tube, uh, tubes of um, toothpaste, and clearly, it's just you know, it was just like a false alarm here. I'm really sorry that you lost your, your flight. Keep doing a good job, and, you know, you know, um, you know enjoy your, the rest of the day. We really want to apologize. And and so we were in that situation, like we were not understanding what's going on because we were praying, saying like, God, didn't you want us to go to the street and, and to, you know, to help these people out in, in Africa? Um, and and all of a sudden we are acquitted. We are declared, you know, innocent, but nothing was happening. So what what happened is that, um, you know, the, the guy of, um, of the airline that was escorting us said, listen, guys, you know, we, let me just escort you to our headquarters. We just wait. Probably what's going to happen is that this, air, this this plane is not going to proceed its flight. So just going to, you know, pay you guys some food vouchers and a hotel room. And then tomorrow you will be able to go back to your trip. Uh, for us, that was not good because we, our trip was all sort of uh, logistically organized already. Uh, but when we were there, people were asking us what happened, what happened with our bags. And we were explaining to them, we explained that we were missionaries. We were going to Africa. We were going to, uh, you know, talk about health with these kids and so on. While we were explaining every, all of these things, uh, and people were saying, well, maybe God didn't want you to go to this trip. And then in, on that time, they received a new radio and said, hey, the engineers just um, checked on the airplane and they realized that the three uh, alarms, accusing problems with the engine, are all three false alarms. So the airplane is good to go. You know, if you still have your uh, the passengers that we took out of the airplane, just bring them quickly to the airplane. They can still catch the ride. So basically, we you know they rushed us to the airplane. We entered into the airplane. That people were clapping at us. Like the lady said, "Well, it looks like we just came. We came back just for you." And the, the whole airplane was cheering and clapping at us. And I didn't know if they were clapping out of happiness or out of anger. So I came and I, when I sat down to my place, I asked the guy, I said, hey, listen, I'm really sorry for, you know, making you guys wait. And they said, no, 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 we are really sorry that you guys have to go through all of these crazy things that have to go. Welcome aboard. Clearly, this flight was not supposed to uh, depart without you on it. So when I think about this story, I remember, wow, could it be that God, he turned a whole aircraft around um, so that we could go to do God's will for our life? You know, and, and to me, that was, that, that's very special. I love that. That's such a cool story, Joseph. Thank you so much for sharing. So for, you know, my friends that are listening out there, that just, just remember that whatever it is that God's calling you to do, He's got a way to get you there. Even if you have seemingly insurmountable odds, remember that the God of the universe is the one who's listening to your prayers. Thanks so much, Joseph. May God bless your ministry. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you again soon. It doesn't seem quite right to say goodbye, my friend But there's a work to be done to tell the world that he is love If I don't see you here again My brother, I'll see you when we get there God's great mercy Forever with you Courage, courage until we get there We are here for just a little while My sister, God surely gives beautiful gifts you are 
dear to my heart Reminding me of his caring love Fellow pilgrim will still be taking the same way home Even though oceans apart Still be fighting the same fight together If I don't see you here again My sister, I'll see you when we get there God's great mercy be forever with you Courage, courage until we get there We are here for just a little while For the blessed hope we have has to be known by all Till he comes and he is coming soon Brother, sister, I'll see you when we get there God's great mercy be forever with you Courage, courage until we get there We are here for just a little Just a little while. Make sure you tune into the breakfast show for giveaways, deep Bible discussions, magnificent music, and noteworthy news. All that and much more every weekday morning on Faith FM. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Crave great food that's good for you and for the planet? Manor Haven Cafe is an earth-friendly oasis right in the heart of Byron Bay, just across from Woolworths. The mouth-watering, 100% vegan menu will leave you and your friends satisfied and feeling great. Manor Haven's world-class curries and vegan lasagna have everybody raving. And if you mention this ad, you'll get one of our totally dairy-free desserts half price. We're open for lunch Monday to Friday at 97 Johnson Street, Byron Bay. Manor Haven Cafe. It's food for body and soul. You're listening to Real Faith, but it's not as real as it could be. Why, you ask? Because this isn't the live show. So as good as this is, the live show is where it's really at. Join us every Thursday from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. so you can be involved live.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. And before we get into our Bible study, I just wanted to have a little bit of a, a read through of some of the responses to our discussion question today. So our discussion question is, and remember, you can still call in and uh, give your responses. We can have a chat to you on the air, hopefully. And uh, you can do that, by the way, by calling 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. You can also text in your responses to 491 So the question today for discussion topic is, what is your prayer posture? Do you like to kneel by your bed like uh, like they did in the good old days, or is there some other posture of prayer that you like to take? And I've got a couple responses that have come in via text, and uh, one of those is from, from Glenda who says, I have trouble kneeling now, so I pray in bed. I pray often whatever I'm doing. Mirna says, I pray sitting when I have my morning devotionals and in bed at night as I can't kneel due to an injury. You're seeing a bit of a theme here. Uh, Raywin also says, no, not so much now. I can't, I can't get up off of my knees. So there's a few people out there who seem to, seem to feel that they would still love to be praying on their knees, but are not so much able to do that these days. Um, yeah. So tell us, tell us what yours are. You can call and we'd love to hear from you. Do you pray kneeling? Do you pray in, in other positions? And what's your reasoning? Love to hear from you on that. And, uh, just one other side note, shameless plug for our question of the week. We're still going to be doing that at the end of the show. And, uh, we'd love to hear from you your questions you can call or text in those as well any questions about god the bible spirituality etc and we've got a couple questions ready ready to go that came in last week for today's show but you can do that as well by calling 1-800-324-843 that's 1-800-FAITH-FM or again you can text us at 0491-064-669 we'll have a couple more of those responses coming throughout the show to that discussion topic and uh, without any further ado we're just going to have a word of prayer and we're going to get into our bible study Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for the privilege that we have to um, just have access to your word and your spirit. I pray that your spirit would lead us, that we may understand what you want us to take from the, the scripture today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you've got a Bible handy, we are turning to Genesis chapter 8. So Genesis is the first book of the Old Testament in chapter 8 and continuing the story of Noah and the great flood. <clears throat> so last week we finished off... With the starting of the flood, the flood took place. It said it rained for 40 days. It rained for 40 nights. The waters came out of the earth. They also came out of the sky. So in terms of flood types, you've got coastal flooding happening from waters. You've got riverine flooding. You've got aerial flooding from the rain. All of these different things are happening at the same time. It says the fountains of the earth broke open and water started to burst forth from the, I guess, the reservoirs that were underneath and the sky started to pour down rain for the first time in human history. But the flood only lasted Sorry, not the flood. The rain lasted for 40 days and 40 nights, but we're going to discover that the flood itself lasted much longer. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 24, just to start us off, it says, And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So 150 days, the water was still moving and flowing. It continues in Genesis chapter 8 and says, Then God remembered Noah. And every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained and the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month 
the seventeenth day of the month on the mountains of Ararat, and the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. And just before we go any further, I think it's incredible to just think about. The flood started seventeenth day of the second month, and the waters didn't start to recede until well, well and truly after that. <laughs> so you've got the fifth month and the seventeenth day that they they sat on the mountains of Ararat. And just um just interesting to think about. Like how long have you been on a boat? The longest that I can that I've been on a boat is is a couple of days. Did some travels across to the to the islands when the plane was broken for the country that I was living in, and uh, a couple of days on the water in in calm, you know, placid oceans, placid seas. I should say is is not too bad. But this is a hundred and fifty days. This is five months, right? You do the math. It says from the seventeenth day of the second month to the seventeenth day of the seventh month. That's five months of thirty days for all you Bible scholars out there. That's where our prophetic timelines come from. But notice this, that's a long time to be on a boat. And I just imagine after knowing that everyone else had was no longer alive on the planet Earth, there was no, no other living animals that, that walk except for those that were on the ark and these eight people, that would be a long time to sit and to wonder, is God actually going to come through and rescue us? It would be a long time to think and wonder, are we ever going to get to land again? And sometimes on the journey of faith, there are times and periods where we wait in the discomfort to see what God is going to do. This is Selah, part of the waters. When I feel the waves around me, calm the sea. When I cry for help, oh, hear me, Lord, and hold out your hand. Touch my life, still the raging storm in me. like 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. And uh, just a reminder that you can send in your questions of the week that we'd love to hear. Or if you'd like to get involved in our discussion topic for today, you can do that by calling in 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or text us at 0491-064-669. A couple more responses to our discussion question. What is your preferred posture of prayer? Uh, Barry says, my day starts at 4 o'clock in the morning with my face on the floor and having thus given myself to the Lord for the day my posture and prayer becomes less important for the rest of the day except that I endeavor to stay constantly connected I love that so starting off with that that time of, of reverence and just reminding ourselves that we can talk to God no matter what time of the day. I love that. Whether you're driving or whatever you're doing, it's, it's, it's an appropriate time to talk to Jesus. I love that. All right, we're going to get back into our Bible study. So Genesis chapter 8, starting in verse 6, they've been on the boat for five months. Then they, just imagine this, imagine this with me for a moment. Like you've been on this giant boat that's like a zoo with seven other people, I'm sure tensions have gotten a little, a little stressful at times. And it probably gets a little bit smelly. You're probably spending all of your time looking after the animals, trying to figure out, you know, getting the water off the roof, collecting all of the water, cooking, all of these things that you'd have to be doing to maintain this, this life on this boat. And I imagine there'd be a lot of waste removal. You'd have to be doing all of this stuff. And then finally, after five months, you feel the boat that's been rocking touch the earth. And then three months later, it says the waters start to to recede enough that they can see the tops of the mountains. And I just love that. You'd finally be getting some hope. It's been, I mean, from from month two all the way to month 10, that's eight months in a boat. That's a long time. So continuing in that headspace, verse six says, so it came to pass at the end of 40 days. So six weeks later than that. So now it's been nine and a half months since they, sorry, since the, since the flood started. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And then he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. So he sends out this bird and he's probably trying to figure out, hey, what's going on? Is there, is there, is there anywhere that's, that's dry enough to produce life again? Is there any chance of us being able to get off this boat soon? But the crow's not giving him, or the raven rather, is not giving him any good indications. He's flying to and from. He's not bringing back anything. So, he gives up his hopes on the raven, and in verse 8 he says, He also sent out from himself a dove. And I just think that's kind of funny. To see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her, and drew her into the ark to himself, and he waited yet another seven days. So it waits a, a week to see if it's changed enough. Is there any life springing up out of the earth, or is it till, still too soggy? In verse 10 he says, And again he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf, singular, one leaf, was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. And at this point, he's getting the indication the bird doesn't need to stay on the boat. It's found a, a place to have food and to set up a nest. Things are proving to be good, and it's going to be time to get off this boat soon. Verse 13, it says, And it came to pass in the 600th and first year in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed, Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. And indeed, 
the surface of the earth, sorry, of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. So one year before, on the 17th day of the month, of the second month, that is, it's now been a year and 10 days, and the earth is finally dry enough that there's life springing up, there's hope of getting off of this boat, and it's time to get out. And we're just going to finish on this quick thought. It says from verse 15 to 19, Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all the flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every animal, every creeping thing, every bird and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. And I think it's just important to note here, they couldn't actually get off the boat until God opened that door, till God had instructed them it's time. This is Ginny Owens.
to Faith FM, positively different radio. Did you know that 80% of Faith FM's operating budget comes from supporters like you? It takes 700 people just like you giving just a dollar a day to keep us running. Visit faithfm.com.au slash donate and partner with Faith FM today. And for just a dollar a day, together, we can reach Australia with life-changing messages of hope. With a burden on her shoulders Lost inside Wondering if this is all she has Feeling so alone This young man Thinks he's got it figured out And planned with everything he knows Confident Living self-assured His five-year plan But does he really know what his future holds? As they walk down the different paths, a quiet voice whispers in their heads. Sure, I can see your future. 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. We're super stoked to have you here. Our discussion question for today that we're talking about interspersed throughout our little Bible study time is what is your posture of prayer? Are you a kneel-by-the-bed kind of person or is there some other way that you like to connect to God and communicating with Him? Uh, Dale says, I kneel when I can as I think it's important to show respect to our awesome God, but He deaf hears or definitely hears all prayers from the heart. I'm with you, Dale. It's awesome to show reverence to God in, in the way that we are able to do that, but um, there are times where you just you just can't do that. You just in terms of you're driving the car and something's happening, you need to pray. And uh, I love that prayers from the heart are what God is interested in. Uh, another one here says this is from Laurel says we have a prayer mat that we kneel on for family worship. For my personal prayer, I sit in a chair. Awesome, that's really cool, Laurel. Love that that adding that community aspect to it in your home. And uh, last one for this break is uh, from Lynn. In the morning, I sit and pray with my devotional book ready. At night, it's down on my knees because for me, an attitude of prayer is on my knees. God is sovereign. I love that. Um, I'll, I'll share a quick one from me since maybe people are wondering, well, what's your posture of prayer, Robbie? Um, I find that there are different postures of prayer at different times. Um, I think for me, the biggest thing is if it's in the morning, some people are like, I'll just wake up and, and, and for a while I was like, man, the first thing I want to do is pray. So I'll pray in bed and I always just fell asleep and I'd fall asleep over and over. And at the time I was sleeping on a camping mat on the floor. So I was like, Oh, it'll just roll across the room. And that was ineffective for me as well. And kneeling in the room, nothing worked for me in the morning except to get outside and get up standing. So for me in the morning, I get up and I, I typically go outside and go for a walk or something and so that I can I can think and be quiet and alone where I can pray out loud to God. So for me in the morning, that's typically my my style, what I, where I go, and sometimes I'll kneel out there, but usually it's, it's walking to keep me awake and alert. All right, we're going to jump back into our Bible study. We're in Genesis chapter 8. God has just made the pronouncement to Noah and his family, get you and all of the animals off of the ark. You're welcome to come back to planet Earth. And I imagine that they were super excited. If you were just about to get off a boat that you'd been on for a year and 10 days, what in the world would you do first, right? If I, if it was me, I mean, by, by the time they got off, they probably had land legs back because the boat had been settled for a while on the Earth. But but what in the world would you do? Just getting out there, just be so amazing. Put your feet in the grass. But I love this. What the Bible says that Noah does first starts in verse 20, and it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered it burnt offerings on the altar. The first thing that he does is he gets down on his knees, he gathers some rocks, builds an altar the way that God had established to do so. And he offers the animals that are, are designated for that purpose. And the first thing that he does is he thanks his God by making this offering. And realistically, that is the most appropriate response that could be had. God has just rescued you from all the peoples of the earth. Eight people have survived, and he has just rescued you and brought you all the way through this ordeal. He's provided for your means for a year and ten days on a boat with all these wild animals. It's crazy. You get off that, you're back on the earth, you look around, there's not another living human being except for those eight people. And this would be a time to recognize God has done a miracle and he's rescued my family. Praise be to God. And so he thanks him with that. Verse 21 says that God's response is that the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, 
cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. And I love what's going on here. God is saying, look, I dealt with man this way this one time, but until the end of time, I will never again destroy all people. We're going to let this go all the way to the end. And until that day, the cycles, the natural rhythms of the earth are going to continue, seed time and harvest, day and night, and it's going to perpetually go on until the end of time. And we know that that time is coming soon, that Jesus is returning. And um, what should our response be to God for that saving grace that he gives to us? And I think it's one of gratitude. So as we listen to this next song, I invite you to just practice some gratitude. This is Kayla Hopkins. Your grace still amazes me.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. Super excited to have you along. And uh, just a reminder that you can get involved in our discussion topic for the day, or you can send in a question of the week, which we would love to hear from you and answer that, which we'll be doing uh, just after the, the hour break. And uh, you can do that by calling one 800 324 843. That's 1 800 Faith FM. Or you can text us on 0491 We've got one more response here to share with you from our discussion question about what's your posture of prayer. And so this is coming from Nadine. And Nadine says, Sometimes I kneel by my bed, as in for short prayers. However, I primarily lie or sit on my bed. I used to routinely pray on my knees, but my legs would fall asleep and became painful. During the day, I often uplift my uh, my heart to God in prayer, whatever I may be doing. I love that. It's a, it's a theme that we've been hearing throughout the discussion topic, just that we can talk to God whatever time of day, whatever situation we're in, and I love that. All right, we're about to get into what I think is one of the most exciting parts of this story. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. And I want you, I want you to notice, especially if you've been listening, if you heard our, our radio program just you know a, a number of weeks ago when we went through the story of creation in Genesis chapter 1, I want you to listen for some parallels here because this is incredibly profound. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, it says, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Notice this blessing, right? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, part one. Verse two says, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Part number two. And then the final part, number three. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, it's blood. And I want you to just, just think about for a moment. Are there any parallels between this and Genesis chapter 1? 
And if you think about it, in Genesis chapter 1, the first thing that we have God saying to humanity in Genesis chapter 1 with both Adam and Eve there is he gives them a threefold conversation. And the first thing that he says is, hey, be fruitful and multiply. Well, here we have the same exact blessing being given. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. So you have this response. This is the same response that's gone on with Adam and Eve. He's saying, hey, the world has been cleansed by water. Now we've got this family who's been faithful. You are going to be starting the earth. You've got to populate it. Point number one, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. In Genesis, there was another parallel. He said, have dominion over the earth, over all of the different animals. And notice here he says, now there's going to be dread of you on all of the animals. Again, another parallel. There's going to be this this humanity having a, a dominion over the earth. Um, albeit in this sense, it's it's blighted by sin and that the animals are going to be afraid where before they would not have been. But there's, there's this huge parallel. And part number three, he says something about their food. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Where in Genesis chapter one, he said every seed-bearing plant and the fruit that they bear, that's going to be food for you. So notice this. This is a huge parallel. And the author of Genesis, Moses here, is writing this. And this is the intention that God is putting forward. This is the new Adam, right? And that's going to become very important for some, if you're familiar with Romans, you're going to, you're going to be aware that Noah was not a good enough Adam. We needed another Adam again. And that Adam truly is Jesus Christ. But notice this. That same command is given. You start the new earth. Go on and do the things that Adam and Eve were called to do. Do that in this planet. And he continues to give that. Now check this out. It goes on in verse five. He says, surely for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast, I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply it. And so here this this Edenic blessing that God had given to Adam and Eve, it's, it's getting sort of, sort of a new twist here. And notice that in here he says, hey, by the way, just just as in so not just as in, in in the previous blessing there was no sin there was no problem but the next generation murder came in and here he's saying hey by the way murder is never acceptable right he's saying murder is not an acceptable response if you're going to shed man's blood your blood will be required of you and then he goes on and says be fruitful and why is this such a big deal because man was created in the image of god another parallel to genesis chapter 1 Man and woman were created in the image of God. So here he goes on and he continues to say, look, I'm making a covenant with you. And this is the first time we have covenant language coming into the story. But I want you to take note. Noah is set up as the new Adam to start the new generation of humanity. And we're going to find out what happens to that next. This is Forbes family. God leads us along.
leads his dear children Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and uh, this is this will be our last probably little discussion topic uh, discussion before we get into our question of the week after the, the after the news. Um, but just before we get into it, let's let's share just a couple more postures of prayer responses. So this one's coming from Shannon. I know Shannon actually. Yeah, shout out to Shannon. He says I often pr- do private prayer throughout the day either on a walk or just silently say prayers when something comes up, and sometimes beside the bed, but sometimes it seems just do it for old time's sake. (laughs) So there's that element kind of to it. I love it. Thanks, Shannon, for sharing. And thank you, everybody, for sharing your discussion, um, your thoughts on the discussion. Whatever the case is, whatever the posture of prayer is that you that you take, I just want to remind you and encourage you, God is there to hear your prayers. And when we come to Him with an honest heart and we come to humbly seek His seek him and to share with him about what's going on and to seek seek his counsel and to seek his assistance when we come there with with pure hearts he is he is ready and more than than able to fulfill the desires of our hearts psalm 37 verse 4 tells us that if we oh oh total blank oh no at a total blank no it's not in my head i forgot it oh it'll come back to me Oh, that's so embarrassing. Anyway, it happens to all of us. But he says he will give you the desires of your heart if something. Anyway, that'll be homework. I'll look that up over the break because I've had a mental blank. I've memorized that text so many times before. Anyway, that's so embarrassing. You get the hot sweats when you're on the radio doing things like that, my friend. <laughs> Let's jump back into the story anyway. So Genesis chapter 9. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He will grant you the desires of your heart. Psalm thirty-seven, verse four. That's what it was. It came to my mind. So delight in God, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Anyway, all right. Back into Genesis chapter nine. So we have Noah being set up almost as the new Adam of this remnant, so to speak, this leftover group that has survived the flood. God gives them this blessing and he gives them this command and it it mirrors, parallels very similarly to the original blessing and commandment given to Adam and Eve. Now notice what happens next. Verse 8, then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him saying, and as for me, so this is God responding, behold, I establish my covenant or my promise with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. And this is the covenant. This is God's promise. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. 
And that is true. We, we have had floods, but there has never since been a global flood. And there never will again be a global flood. In fact, when God, dest- you know, when the, when the earth is destroyed at the end of time and, re- and cleansed and replenished to make the new heavens and new earth, Second Peter chapter three tells us it will be done with fire. Revelation chapter 20 tells us the same thing, that the earth will be cleansed with fire, not with water. Isn't that interesting? But I love this. God is a keeper of his promises. And God said, verse 12, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, that waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant, which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. And I love that, right? Every time that we see a rainbow in the sky, we can be reminded, yeah, God has kept that promise. Thus far, God has been faithful. And every time I see that, I can be reminded that if God was faithful in that promise, then God will be faithful to every other promise that he makes. And so when we see the rainbow, it's a symbol that God keeps his promises. God made another covenant to Abraham, and he said that through you all nations will be blessed. That covenant was about Jesus the Messiah coming to rescue humanity. And we know that that has come to fruition also, and that God's promise, Jesus said, I will come back because I go to heaven and I'm making a place for you. And we know that God is faithful to keep that promise too. So every promise that God gives, we know that he is faithful. And we have these signs that we see to remind ourselves. And it's important for us to take time to remind ourselves of these truths so that we can be encouraged and hold strong through the difficulties in life. Because difficult times come. But when we see the signs of God's covenant keeping, his promise keeping, it gives us hope and faith to endure. Just like Noah was on the ark and he had seen the flood that he'd worked for 120 years in preparation for to build that boat. It finally came during that year of the flood. He would know that God was going to establish him on the earth. All of these things give us hope and courage as we go forward. So how does Noah do? This is the big question, right? And I just have to have a quick drink of water. Dead time on the radio is no good, but so we try to drink fast. But I'm the question is, no, how, how good of a job does Noah do? So we're going to jump into the final part of this story. We're going to get probably cut off by the news, and then we'll come to it after the question of the week to finish. But check this out. Does Noah do a good job at being the new Adam? So this is Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Just make a side note there. Sometimes we get really caught up in the us and them of our culture. We get caught up in the us and them of, of things like racism, etc. But I want you to take note. Every human being that's on this planet, whatever the shade of their skin, whatever the cultural background, whatever, whatever false god they worship, or whether they worship the true god, the reality is every single one of us is related. We're all a part of the human race. And we need to treat each other with dignity and respect because, hey man, that's God's child. And whether or not they're, they're following the truth or believing in the truth, 
they're one of God's children. They're our kin, and we should treat them with the utmost of respect and dignity and work for their better long-term blessing. So just just a side note there, but I think it's incredibly important, especially as tribalism is coming back with a vengeance in our society at the moment, this us and them of my tribe is better than your tribe, and if you don't belong to my tribe, then you're my enemy. And this mentality is 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 not helpful for our society. So check this out. It continues. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. So far, so good. Here's Noah following the 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 blessing the commandment to go and multiply be fruitful again he's he's become a farmer so this is very similar to a gardener isn't it adam and eve were sent into the garden and noah here is going out to be a farmer the parallels are insane right the parallels are huge now we're going to go to a break here in a moment and i'm just humming and hawing about whether or not i should keep reading but i want you to just keep this question in your mind how good is noah going to deal with this this new commandment. He starts off good. What's going to happen? And we're going to find out after the break. This is Gavin Chatelier, Rainbow Promise. I watch the raindrops on my window. Saw the blue skies break through the dark clouds Beheld the colors of the rainbow And I know your hand is there And I know that you are here Even when dark clouds come my way You've done more than paint a rainbow You proved your love like no one ever could There've been times when I have failed you I know this never had to be I let the dark clouds blot out my rainbow Let my blue skies turn to gray And I know that you are here Even when dark clouds come my way You've done more than paint a rainbow You proved your love like no one ever could
Do you enjoy listening to Faith FM? We'd love to hear your story. Let us know on our website at faithfm.com.au or email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au and let's connect today. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. This is a rerun of Real Faith. Make sure you join Thursdays at 3.30 for the live show. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. And Shell, what time is it? Oh, 
I should record that and take it home. It makes me smile every time I hear it. And when I'm feeling blue, I could just put that on. (laughs) All right. So we've got a question coming to us from Anna. So thank you, Anna, for your question. And Anna's question is, can you please explain how the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one? So this is a great question, a question about the this this idea of the Trinity. Now, depending on what church you go to, you're going to get a different response to this. Um, but the question that I have is always, well, what, is, what does Scripture tell us? I don't want to know necessarily just all the church history behind this idea. What, what does it really mean that the Father and the Spirit and the Son are all one? Uh, so this is a great question. Um, to answer that question, I want to go to the Old Testament, and I want to go to the most quoted Old Testament passage among the Hebrew people, and that is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And it says here, it's all, it's referred to as the Shema, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So this is a, a very familiar passage, perhaps to some, new to others. But I want you to just take note of what, sa- what it says here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, in other words, Yahweh Elohim, the Lord Yahweh is one. Now, you, you got to remember also that in the context of the culture around them, when this is written by Moses, is that there's no such thing as a monotheistic religion anywhere else in the world. And what I mean by a monotheistic religion is the belief that there is one God. Now, what's fascinating to note here is that every other culture was either uh, polytheistic, meaning they, they believed in many gods, or pantheistic. They believed that God is, that, that all thing, that God is in all things, all things are God. Um, and there's another word for that subtle difference that I can't remember. Um, but you have to remember that this, they, they were rigidly unique in their, in their monotheistic position. What does it mean though when it says that the Lord your God is one? Now in the Hebrew, there are two words for one. There is yakid and ichad. Now the word that's used here is ichad. You gotta use that, that guttural sound. It's actually in the language. And it says that the Lord your God is one. Ichad. Now, the first word, yakid, is referring to something that is rigidly one in number, physically one thing. But what's being referred to here is a different word. And to explain it, I want to show you what another passage where it is used. So, remember that word, ichad, the Lord your God is one. And if you turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 2, you have the joining of Adam and Eve, the first marriage, the first man and the first woman being joined together. And I want you to take note of what it says in Genesis 2, verse 24. <clears throat> God presents Eve, the woman, to Adam, the first man, and it says, he says, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then it says this statement, and this statement is profound on so many levels. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, the question is, which of those two Hebrew words is being used, yakid or ichad? And the answer is the word is ichad. So the word that is being used to describe the joining of a man and a woman to become one flesh is the same word that's used in the Shema when it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So what does that mean? 
When a man and a woman are joined together in marriage and they become one flesh, are they becoming one physical body? Do they somehow morph into one person? Do they, they, do they lose their individual identities? The answer to that is obviously no. What they become is they become a united family unit that is now totally unified or is supposed to be totally unified in its direction and vision and in its pursuit in life. And so what's going on here is when it says that the Lord our God is one, that the Father and the Spirit and the Son are one, it's not saying that this is just somehow one God with three faces. It's not saying that God is is one God and yet he's got three kind of personas that are projections from that. That's called modalism and that's not what the Bible is talking about. The Bible is saying that the Father is a distinct individual person. The Son is a distinct individual person. The Spirit is a distinct individual person. All three of them are equally divine. All three of them in the ceaseless ages of eternity would have had omnipotence. In other words, all power, omniscience, all knowledge, omnipresence. They're they not confined by the same parameters of physics that we are. Until Jesus becomes incarnated and becomes a human being, he was all of those things to the full extent. So what does this mean? How are they then one? If they are three individual distinct beings, you know, the angel of the Lord, which is what Jesus is referred to prior to him becoming a human being, he says, Yahweh said to Yahweh, the Lord says to the Lord, and he's talking about the Father while he's speaking to someone on the earth. Well, he's talking about the Father as a separate and distinct person. So they are distinct, they're separate. So what does it mean that they're one? Sorry, I hope this isn't too theological or ideological. The, 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 what it means that they are one is that they are united. They are so united in common interest, in common character, in common nature, in common pursuit, in common vision, that they are acting as if they are one entity. And they're not one physical body, but they are one united family. And they're the only three that are of that God kind in all of the universe because they are uncreated. All three of these individual persons are uncreated. So what does it mean that they're one? They are so united that they operate as one. So hopefully that helps to answer that question for you, Anna. Uh, it was a really long-winded passage <laughs> or long-winded explanation. But yeah, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Genesis 2 verse 24. And so the way that I like to describe it is when you have a family, and I, I stole this from a friend, so thanks Ty Gibson for this explanation. It was helpful to me, so I'll pass it on. My My wife Katie and I, we are separate individual persons. We are not you know, somehow some conglomerate one person. But what we are is we are the Morgans. And when we have children, they will be a part of the Morgans, right? We will be the Morgan family. And so when it talks about God is one, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, this is the divine family, the family, the heavenly trio that are so united they are, they are operating as one, but they're one team, not one individual. Three distinct individuals that make up one God divine team. And so that's my, my short answer to that. Hope that's helpful to somebody out there as well as to Anna. And I hope it's a blessing. Um, we're going to get right into our, uh, passage back in Genesis chapter nine after this little break. So we're going to take a, a break for a song here. And this is Cademan's call covenant song. to 
the Lion of Judah, we are Abraham's seed. We belong to the God and Creator of everything. Let us raise up a covenant chorus. Let us bring forth our lives to the one whose host gathers among us and fills the sky.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and we're just going to get through the rest of our story in Genesis chapter 9, following up what Noah was doing with his farming. So if you're there, you can join us in Genesis chapter 9, verse 21. And in verse 21, it reads, so remember, bear in mind, this is he's set up, he's almost like the new Adam He's got his family, he's had the blessing, he's had the commission, he's doing the same kind of work, tending to a garden, he's here tending to his vineyard, and notice what happens in his response. Verse 21, then he drank of the wine and was drunk, and became uncovered, notice, became uncovered, very very interesting way to state that, in his tent, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brothers outside, But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant." May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, so all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Now, this is a pretty weird story, but I want you to just take note of something. We won't get too much into the gory details. There's a lot of speculation about this among scholars about what exactly this means. But briefly, what's going on, you've got... You've got Noah. He's gone and he started to farm. He's planted a vineyard. And what is the first story that we have of him after practicing gratitude, after responding to God and thankfulness for saving him? He's the man who had found grace with God, etc. Perfect in all his generations, it had said three chapters ago. The first thing that he does after all of this is he makes a vineyard, he makes some, some wine, he gets drunk, and he winds up having some serious domestic issues. And the point that is being driven here that I think is just really profound to note is that the new Adam, Noah, has royally screwed up the picture immediately again. And the the point that I think is so so important to make here is that there can be no hope in broken humanity. The new Adam cannot be Noah. Noah's name means rest, right? And his, his it's it's said that in the genealogy in, in Genesis chapter five. They named him Noah because he would he would bring rest from God's curse upon the ground, they had said. And notice, he did bring them rest in the sense that he became a vessel um, for which humanity was to continue through, to, to live on through and after the flood. And yet, here he is, the one who had been following God faithfully, and the first thing that he does is he makes some pretty bad mistakes. He winds up in a situation where he gets himself drunk, he's wound up naked in the tent, his son is sinning in some sort of euphemistic way here. It's mentioned that he's looking upon him. We're not exactly sure what that means, but the, his response insinuates that it's quite uh, quite negative what's going on there in a significant way because he curses him in front of all of his brothers, right? Like significantly curses him. This is a, a shame culture. That's a big deal. So what's going on here is that this person who all the hopes of humanity was put in for salvation, for rescue, to be this new remnant has just done the very same kinds of things that Adam and Eve had done. He is falling into sin. And this is the first mention of alcohol in the scriptures. Notice that it is associated with 
terrible choices, with nakedness, with a lack of understanding of what's going on, with all of these things. And the next number of instances where alcohol shows up in the Bible, which indicates that alcohol is not not looked upon kindly or favorably in any way in Scripture. But notice that this is the this is where humanity is. And you might ask yourself the question: Well, where is the hope? And the hope is that Romans. I think it's chapter 5 from memory, tells us that Jesus is the one who becomes the new Adam because everybody else in Adam's lineage has failed to do the right thing, to upkeep and be in accordance with God's will, to keep their end of the covenant, all of those things. We've all failed. And there's no hope to be found in broken humanity. The only hope to be found is in Jesus Christ, the new Adam, who did what we failed to do and what we could never have done. He has done it for us. And if we put our faith and our trust in Him, He does the work in our hearts. He saves us. He declares us righteous by His own blood. And He does the work of sanctification and leads us on a path of new life. And so I just want to encourage you, don't put your hope in any of man's promises, any of man's hopes and dreams and visions that we can do for ourselves. They will all fail. The only hope to be found is in Jesus Christ and what He can do for you and what He has already done for you at Calvary. So what else can we draw from this story? What are some life lessons that we can get out of the story of the flood and particularly from today? Number one, I think that is really significant is, is the, the pathway of salvation for Noah and his family was not an easy road. And following Jesus is not an easy road. Believing the gospel and allowing God to work in your life and to follow him and to surrender and, and believe his promises and believe that he has rescued you and saved you and to trust in him, it's not easy. And there were times in the trial of this flood where they had to put their hope and their faith in God when it's, it looked like there was no hope and faith to be found. The, the flood had happened. All the rest of the people were gone. They were on the boat for a year. And all of this, they had to wait. And they had to trust on God and lean on Him. And so hold on to your hope. That's a, that's a really profound lesson. It's not going to be easy, but hold on to your hope. God, who was faithful in the beginning, will be faithful until the end. A second application that I think we can draw out of this Noah's response when he gets off of the ark, the first thing that he does off of the ark is he practices gratitude to God and he offers a thanksgiving sacrifice. And I think it's incredibly important for us, if we want to have good mental health, if we want to have a journey with God that's going to be continually filled with hope, we have to remember what God has done. And we need to express our gratitude and our praise regularly. Do things that help you to remember what God has done. Notice that it wasn't just words. Words are great. Let's do that. Let's do words out loud. Let's write things down. Let's do all of those things. But notice that he did physical things as way a way to, to express gratitude to God. He gave of something that God had given to him. That's another way we can practice gratitude, by returning to God and to his mission, to his work. There's all sorts of ways that we can thank God and give praise to him. We can make you know, special traditions in our families or things to remember things that God has done for us. It's incredibly important to practice gratitude. Thank God for everything. Notice that when in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, he says, be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything, right? With thanksgiving, let your prayer, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Practice thanksgiving to God. And the last one, well, there's a number of lessons. Also, uh, trusting God's promise, trusting God's covenant. Alcohol's a bad deal. That's clearly a lesson from this story. But don't put your hope and your faith in man's way of doing things. Put your hope and your faith and trust in God to do things his way and be faithful to him. He will carry you through. So, um, 
Oh, I've lost my stuff. Anyway, we... Uh, I'm just going to talk about what our topic is for next week. Oh, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> cool. So our discussion question for next week, before we finish up our, our radio show today... Our discussion question, and you can you can call in during the week, you can text in, you can send it to our Facebook page, Faith FM Australia. The question for next week for our discussion is, what's your favorite go-to nature nugget to demonstrate that God is the creator? What is your favorite fact about nature that gives you faith and confidence that God created the universe as opposed to some other story of origins? So we'd love to hear from you about that. And um, yeah, just have a blessed week. Put your hope and your trust in Jesus. He will be faithful. He will carry you through. And as you go throughout your week, remember, real faith is lived faith.